We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us on the program again today. We are delighted to have your company. And I'm also delighted to have back in the studio with me the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs Australia, Tony Benjamin. Hi, Etienne. It's great to be here, and thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. We always look forward to your, uh, your, your, your sharing back from your, your trips overseas. And I uh, recently was able to go with you to uh, some interesting places, South Korea, and I met some Voice of the Martyrs there. We were able to interview some people there. And then also to meet with the underground church in China, opportunities I wouldn't have had otherwise. So I've been very grateful, and it's been a real eye-opener. Yeah. Look, it's been great. It's been great to be able to... Um to take you there, but also get you to see, understand, and appreciate uh, what God's doing in these places more than anything else. Mm. It's not really about us at the end of the day, but it's about protecting those that are suffering for the gospel. That's you know? right. And, and the work that's being done there is amazing. And I know you keep in touch with the guys, and it's, you know, it's great because you're getting the information back as we get it firsthand, raw, un, unedited, and that's good. Oh, it's it's incredible. Like even some of the people you've brought across that we've been able to interview are just thinking of Gopal Singh from India. And uh, he still keeps in touch with me almost on a daily basis. He sends me little thoughts and that, and we correspond backwards and forwards. And he every now and then will send me like a little news clip or a news article of what's happening in India. And uh, there's some remarkable things because the thing that surprises me that India actually has a secular government. Their constitution is secular. It's not religious. Yet there are certain pockets of persecution. And you've just recently come back from a trip in India, and I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, your your report on that. Sure. Look, India India is a complex place, I think. And I think it's uh, it's symptomatic of many other countries that do suffer persecution in that India, like you said, has got a secular government. But it's there's a, there's a large faction within that government that wants to see India for Hindus. Mm. And that voice is getting louder and louder. I mean, you could speak to many missionaries around Australia and they will tell you, oh, they've been to India. Oh, India's okay. India's this. India's that. Look, I would hasten to say differently in that even now when you apply for a visa in India, which we did recently yes. to, uh, to visit there, you had to put what your religion was. Mm. And that's unusual. That wasn't the case before from my understanding. Yeah. So people, I uh, recently had a, a pastor, a friend of ours that was refused entry into India because they know he's an evangelist, and this was going to Delhi, and wow. this was only a few weeks ago. And Delhi's quite an open city, isn't it's it? It's supposed to be that way, yes, yeah. but, uh, and he's been going there for many, many years. Mm. So, you know, there are a number of challenges facing people in India, and the government is cracking down on non-Hindu activity, and you only need to look at this uh, recent 
report by the BBC that they want to send back more than 4 million people that they are saying are stateless. Yes. Many of them have lived there all their lives, and they're second and third generation there. Wow. So, and they're not Hindus either. So, you know, India is a complex place. Mm. It's interesting because, I mean, I, I've, I've had a, a sort of an understanding of, even with my experience with you in China. There's the visible church. And if you go and visit the visible church, you think everything is fine. Everything is free. You can worship to the dictates of your conscience as you want to. But then when you realize there's a lot of people that don't attend those churches because the gospel is compromised. You cannot preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't preach his second coming. There's a number of things you can't preach about. That's why there's an underground church. Mm. And in the underground church, they can actually preach, and it's growing very fast. Mm. But on the surface, everything looks fine. So you're just saying on the surface, people go there, and everything seems fine mm. and free in India. But your experience, especially Voice of the Martyrs, with your contacts there, you know there's a totally different story that the West doesn't uh, get to see quite simply because the news doesn't pick up on a lot of these stories. Exactly. You know, we see what the, what the media wants to tell us, and we follow that quite faithfully as secular believers. But as Christians, you know, we get to see what's actually happening, and we're mm. seeing the degradation of Christianity yes. in India. For example, um, Nagaland. Nagaland, if you look at look at any stats on Google, they would tell you that the 80-90% Christians in Nagaland. Now, when you speak to the local Naga people, which I've done recently on my visit there, it's not like that at all. Okay. They are being decimated by political groups coming in there, funded by the BJP government, the Modi government, and just forcing their way into local politics and changing things to the Hindu way of doing things. Mm. And people are complaining about it. And one of the other things they're complaining about is that they've got more nominal Christians now than they've ever had because of these outside influences. Right. And as new believers come in, the locals are pressurizing those new believers and they just backsliding back into their old ways again because of the pressure that they're getting. Mm. And the tactics are quite unscrupulous in that they're offering people money, they're offering people positions in jobs, they're offering people some form of status within the community to denounce Christianity and their faith. Yeah, and uh, when you are impoverished and you don't know where your next meal's coming from, all these things are very, very attractive. You know, you, you're thinking about eternity, but you know, sometimes even a twenty cent piece can eclipse a Rolls Royce to block away. You know what I'm saying? So exactly, and you yeah. know, something we look at it in the Western world and we think, oh, but it's a secular country. Mm. But there's the law, and there's how it's applied. In this case, very differently to what the law actually says, mm. because mob rule is what sort of overtakes things there. Not only mob rule, but then the government not wanting to upset the mob when the mob has actually burnt the church yes. or beaten up the, the the followers you know, within the church. I've heard stories you know, just from the contact that you put me in touch with where the police have watched on while they've done terrible things to Christians. And that is all too common. It's all too common. We see that happen in India. We see that happen in Indonesia. We see that happen in a lot of countries, for example, where they got Sharia law, where there's this clash. Mm. And the police do not want to be seen siding with a minority yes. or um, 
going against the local eldership and just take a step back and just don't do anything. Mm. I just uh, got a, a news clip yesterday from, from uh, your contact in, um, in India where a, a bishop, two bishops, were just running a church program at a house. Now, these people all happen to be Christians, but what happens is a mob of about 75 people heard about this, and they decided that they, uh, they were proselytizing. In other words, they were converting, and they were saying it's illegal. But it's not illegal according to the Constitution. However, in that part of uh, India, there's this uh, groundswell of Hindus who are opposed to any Christianity or people converting from Hindu to Christianity. They beat these people, and as they were beating them, they were ripping their clothes off them, tearing their clothes off, stripping them naked. Then they dragged them. They took them to the police station. The police did nothing. But then finally to resolve the issue, they had to sign a document to say that they weren't proselytizing, that everybody were Christian in that, in that meeting room. So this happens on a regular basis, as I understand it. Exactly. So what happens to the offenders in most cases, or in all cases, nothing. Yes. Nothing. So these are the daily lives of people that live in places like India and other places. So, you know, these things are happening. They, they're going on there and trying to deal with it in trying to offer some form of help mm. is often very, very complex. Yes. Because as happened to me, the minute any foreigners go in there, they, the government is using the fact that there's foreigners in there saying that foreigners are coming to stir up trouble. Uh, now, really, okay. stir up trouble means going against what they want, which is not, in their case, constitutional, mm. but what they want to see. So there's all of this misinformation going on there. Wow. So we caught up in all of that, you know, and we try our level best to be able to support those most affected. We're currently rebuilding nine churches that were burnt in Odisha. Is that right? We're rebuilding them at the moment mm. and putting programs in place to help the local Christian people become self-sufficient so they can earn a living because their living is being compromised because they're not Hindu. So okay. they don't get the job opportunities. Mm. They don't get to sell their goods at the market. They don't, in many cases, get to purchase at the local bazaar or the, or the, or the shop because they're Christians. So they can't sell. And they, at times they can't buy either because they're Christians. So that Correct. no buy no sell we read in Revelation 13, in a small sense, we're actually seeing that in parts of India. We're seeing that happen in parts of India. Wow. Yes. So these are the ways that we, um, that we have to try and find unique opportunities for. Mm. And a lot of the opportunities come down to self-sufficiency where they're not reliant on that. Yeah. And they can be self-sufficient in that subsistence farming. We're looking at... Um, vocational skills, we're looking at these types of things. And the most affected are normally the women, sadly, okay. because of the way that culture treats, looks at, and deals with women. Mm. Now, India has got a massive rape culture, and even secularly you can read up on it. If you yeah. go into the newspaper, you'll see it. Mm. And it's a problem, and, and it's an embarrassment to them at the moment. Yes. So women seem to be to bear the brunt of not only the culture— but then if you combine the culture with the Christian faith, it's even worse for them. Wow. So we are working through, we have a program called the Dorcas Program, where we provided skills in, in, in one instance. We provided 60 sewing machines. We're giving them business skills. We're teaching them tailoring mm. so that they can graduate to form a little co-op. And they've got purchasing power, but selling power. As and that well. puts them yes. above. You know, I'm so very conscious that in the Bible it says we ought to be the head and not the tail. Mm. And being the head does come with its advantages. Yes. 
being the tail doesn't come with any, sadly. That's true. And and we're very conscious of of raising these uh, persecuted believers' self-esteem, but l- raising their profile. Mm. Because often what these uh, perpetrators are doing is giving them uh, giving them the opportunity to have a social status by compromising their faith. We're trying to give them that self-sufficiency without compromising, compromising their faith. by being faithful to the Lord and, exactly. and Him providing. Yeah. Now, that's very powerful. And the whole issue there really is this, this caste system that they have, which is based on their doctrine of karma, which means if you've had a, a bad life previously, you come back at a lower life form. And it's really the uh, the lower class people that are responding to the gospel more than the Brahmins and that. And therefore, when they become educated as Christians, it lives their their, their, their standards, education standards. They become more organized as well because it, it has an effect on the whole being. However, the Brahmins at the top of the caste system don't like it because they see all of a sudden these so-called peasants who, who deserve what they get, the cursed ones they call it, now actually being elevated by the gospel. And sadly, that is what you see in India. They're more than happy to show you the great side. Mm. But there's a massive dark side that exists there that they're happy to continue because it's giving Hinduism a greater foothold in places where it didn't have a foothold, particularly in that northeast area of a place like Nagaland. Wow. So when you go on these trips, I mean, some countries would be, I guess, uh, you'd be less concerned about it. But is your personal safety uh, impacted? That must be a concern for you and your family and, I guess, your staff too? You know, yes, it is. And I was very um, encouraged by the way... Many people reacted to what happened to me recently when I was there where Mm. I was going about what I was doing. I wasn't compromising any safety. I wasn't standing up there preaching. I just went along. It was a recon visit for me into a different area and just went to have a look and see what was going on there. Mm. And um, we complied with all the paperwork. Besides your visas, you have to get permission to be in a local area, which which I got in writing from the police. And when I landed, you have to hand that into the police at the airport, and then everything is okay, or mm. so we thought. After being there for two days, uh, it was nine o'clock in the evening. I got a knock on the door of the hotel room, uh, opened the door, two policemen burst in, uh, checking who else was there in the room, asking me who else is here. Are you alone? Of course I'm alone. I traveled alone. I filled in that I was alone. You know, when you check into an hotel, you've got to give your passport, they photocopy it, put your details on it. Mm-hmm. They had all of that. So they searched your whole they room? Had, you say they even looked under your bed? <laughs> looked under the bed, went through my luggage wow. to see what I had in my bag, checked in the bathroom, checked on the balcony, um, and then proceeded to ask me why I was there. Mm. But they know this information. We filled in all the paperwork and said why I was there. Yes. Um, wanting to know if I was a social worker because apparently – as a social worker, you're interfering, apparently, in the social structure. Oh, really? And I said, no, I wasn't a social worker. And I was just there as a visitor to visit some local people, which mm. is what I was doing there. Yes. Um, so they they spent about 15 minutes with me, and then I got a little bit cranky about the whole thing and started biting back and accusing them of just harassing me because I'm a foreigner. Mm. Uh, and then they took some photos of me, and then and then they left. Well, and that was quite unnerving because, yeah, because I wasn't doing anything wrong. You know? And you don't know if it's going to escalate beyond that at that time. Exactly. You, yeah. So that was my concern was that if they came back again, I would be in real trouble because then they'd have an even greater reason for being there. Mm. 
What I'd soon discovered the next morning after speaking to my local contact there was that these were not the local police. They were actually more at the federal level. Federal so level, I wow. don't know why they were so concerned about me, but where we were in a place called Dimapur was only three kilometers from an area called Assam. Now, Assam has had a lot of issues. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of non-Christians in Assam, and um, many people are having challenges in you know, that place called Assam. Yeah. So I don't know if it had anything to do with that, but it was pretty unnerving. I wasn't expecting that. No. But, uh, you know, like I recanted the story of a, uh, you know, a friend of ours who was there recently and was refused a visa, I wasn't sort of expecting anything different, to be honest with you. But, you know, this is what happens. And I, you know, I fobbed the whole, the whole thing off because it's nothing, absolutely nothing in relation to what many of our fellow Christian believers have to suffer through on a daily basis who actually live there. Mm. So mine was a mere... Little bump in the road. Yeah, you yeah. Had, so you've had a little bit of a taste of yeah. what these guys have to endure on a daily basis: police exactly. harassment, uh, community harassment, um, deprivations being taken. You know, opportunities to trade being taken away from them, opportunities for education being taken away from them. Now, dear listener, uh, Voice of the Martyrs has a lot of stories like this that are available for you to uh, go and read on their website, and their website is vom.com. .au, and you can find a lot of these stories there from different parts of the world. Voice of the Martyrs works in 57 countries around the world, as I understand it, with a lot of projects. And you know they have more projects and there's more needs than they actually have the ability to fund. But, Tony, you were telling me some good news. You've been able to almost double your funding over what you did last year just simply because more people have come on board, got excited about what you're doing to support the poor Christians who are being persecuted for their faith in other parts of the world, and you're able to generate more. But as more funds come in, you can do more. That's basically how your budget works, isn't it? That is correct, yes. Yes, we get we get most of our funding out back into the field there where it matters most. So we've been blessed, and we're very thankful to those that support us Mm. and for God's grace, his blessing, and his help in making it possible for us to have put into the field, which means reaching people that need it, uh, more than 90% of what we've ever done in a year. Right, so you've almost doubled it. Yes. Well, praise God for that. And it's good because, I mean, these stories need to get out. We need to be able to connect. And you provide a connection, I guess, for Christians here in a free country like Australia to connect with the persecuted church in other parts of the world. And there's a number of things we can do. Obviously, pray, because I've been with you now in some of these countries. The first thing I ask for is always prayer. And I said, well, what do we need to pray for? Do we pray the persecution stops? They say, no, pray that God give us strength so we can endure the persecution. That's what they quite often ask for. The other one is Bibles, of course, and the other one is materials. But you go beyond that because you also provide education so they can be self-sustaining. And also if there's a shortage of water in India, that's a big problem. Monsoon season, which runs for about three months of the year, there's plenty of water. But then for nine months of the year, there's no water. So you've been working on some projects here. Can you share some of those projects that you were involved with yes yes we're providing a community life straw water unit which you can find details on our website on also and um, this this provides at least a hundred thousand liters of purified water waterborne disease is a big problem in india mm. and even though we've got wells and we drill wells in many cases the christian community is not allowed to use it yes so they have to walk four and five kilometers to get water Mm. And it's contaminated water. Oh. So we've been able to put out a number of these water filter units. 
Um, each unit holds about 50 liters before it's filtrated. And um, we constantly have a drive for more of these units because many more are needed. Right. Um, we'd like to do 500 this year, and we're not that close yet. Okay. So that's one of the ways that we're trying to reach people just on a humanitarian basis. We're also doing medical kits, which we're working on at the moment, just to give people basic medical help and care, bandages, plasters, um, some ointment, these sorts of basic things, which many of them cannot afford mm. to actually go and get and pay for themselves. Wow. And in many cases, these... These items are um, not the real deal. They fake in mm. many of these cases. So we're trying to provide them through the through resources like St. John's. Uh, we're trying to provide them with the real ointments right, and okay. things like that. Yes. So we're trying to provide them with the real resources so that they can actually, you know, sort of do basic medical help for themselves. Mm. And there's so many others that we do. Uh, we're constantly growing. We're constantly looking for new opportunities to be able to uh, improve the lives of those that are impoverished for the gospel. Mm. And um, literature and Bibles is always a major, major thing for us. So we're embarking upon doing more for places like India and places like China. Yeah. So if people want to get involved, they can go to your website and donate. I mean, any donations welcome. Even if someone says, look, I can do 5 or $10 a month, that's all I can afford, or a week. Or if they want to fund one of these uh, water purifier systems, these, what's it called again? The um, It's a lifestyle water filter, and it's $500, and it can help a community of about 30, 40 people. Incredible. Have fresh water. Yeah. So a one-off donation of 500 will buy one of these filters. But you're saying you want 500, so that's about $250,000 that you need to, uh, to, to that get. That is correct. That but is correct. One filter at a time, that, 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 that target can be reached. And I'm hoping that you know, in a few months' time we can say you've been able to achieve that target. So, dear listener, if you're, you're out there, please go and look at their website. You can see some of the projects they're involved with. Matter of fact, there's a number of projects. But let's get back to India and just sharing some of the things that you're doing there. We've touched on some of the educational side. I think you were talking about two projects. There's a school that you were sponsoring as well. So they're self-sustaining with their gardens, I think you mentioned. That is correct, yes. We're helping people with self-sustainability. One of the places I've been to and the mission that we're working with, they actually grow turmeric. Now, turmeric is very expensive. Okay. And they, they actually do it all organically, and we've been able to provide them with a generator because they've got no electricity, mm. a generator so they can store it. We've been able to provide them with grinders so they can refine the turmeric. I actually brought some home. It's absolutely amazing. It's in its purest form of turmeric. But all of what they do, they use. So it's from the, from the ground, from the earth, straight onto the plate. Okay, And that's how they live. And this mm. is an orphanage that we're helping. And these guys have got um, about 20 kids there that, you know, they full on orphans and they're kids and they need to go to school. Mm. So they fund the activity through selling the turmeric and some of the farm products. So it's gone from subsistence farming to now actually be able to trade with this as well so they can Correct. provide for their needs. So we're giving them some business skills. We're helping them to increase their, their harvest of this turmeric. Um, so so it can pay for more of what they're doing. We've also just inputted many, many Bibles into that area to help them with the evangelism of new believers, uh, to help them with the teaching of new believers and evangelism of non-believers, mainly Hindus, of course, in that part of the world. Right. And, um, yeah, so, you know, this has been a, a great opportunity for us to expand the work we're doing there and also look at, not just working with women in terms of the Dorcas project, but helping men. So we're looking at 
carpentry. We're looking at vocational skills like plumbing. Now, India has got no vocational system there for anybody to learn anything. Really? Wow. Nothing. Not even if you're an, if you're an electrician. There isn't an apprenticeship scheme there. Mm. So by doing what we're doing, we're able to give these guys quite a hand up Yes. in terms of finding a job getting on their feet and being able to support themselves. You know, at the end of the day, we'd like to reach as many people as we can. Mm. So it's not about having people that we're funding year in, year out, funding the same people. We'd like to help as many as we can. So this is a great way for us to do it. And we implore you to become a part of what we do and to help what we do. And if you want to get involved or you would like to get us to share more of what we do in places like India, at your church, Go onto our website, fill in the application form for us to come and speak there, and we're happy to get somebody to come out and share more of what we do. Okay, fantastic. And there's also available at the moment uh, this movie, which tells the story of Richard Wurmbrand, who's the founder who was persecuted in a communist Romania from, for many years, 14 years in prison. And that movie is also available for churches to air between now and December if they want to do that. That is correct, yes. We will be happy to come along and, sh- and show the movie. We recently um, had a showing in Sydney. You'll see the comments on the website. They were absolutely overwhelming. Mm. It's not a feel-good movie. Yes, It's a movie that's really going to get you to have a hard think about how we do what we do with our faith mm. and what difference we make. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a very important wake-up call for us in the West not to be complacent. Right. And people who've been attending that movie, they watch the movie, now they can read the book. So they can actually get a copy of that book as well and then read that story from Richard Wurmbrand, who was the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. Well, dear listener, we've been uh, pleased that you've been able to join us. And I want to send my thanks to Tony Benjamin, who's the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs, for coming in. He's got to travel quite a distance to get you every time. So we appreciate this, the sacrifice you made to make people aware of what's happening to the persecuted church around the world. And we pray that God will continue to bless you, where God will continue to bring more funding so you can do more projects there. Because, like you're saying, the need out there is much bigger than you're able to, to, uh, to work on at the moment simply because the resources aren't available. Yes, you're absolutely correct. And we just pray for God's providence mm. and his provision so that we can reach more people and we can touch more people's lives and change more people's lives. But thank you, too, for those that do support the work because it's much appreciated. Wonderful. Thank you. Dear listener, we look forward to catching up with you next time here on Souls Under the Altar. May God bless you and keep you until then. for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.